The 2015 Genie Convention, read by Jason Weddington, followed by original audio recording. It's early, way too early to be awake. Lots to do today. First full day of the Genie Convention and we've got two interviews lined up. Tomorrow will be even crazier with three scheduled, more if we luck out. Over the years, I've learned everyone nerds out on something. It could be cosplay or building model airplanes, painting Warhammer figurines, collecting salt and pepper shakers. You get the idea. Magic is no exception. When a community of people springs up around something hip, an annual convention is sure to follow. As I mentioned before, Genie, a magazine and one of the craft's longest-running publications, hosts one of the best magic conventions in the country every two years right here in sunny Orlando. I always get excited for conventions. You get to reconnect with people you've not seen in years, catch up on the latest goings-on in the community, and a chance to share what you've been working on with your peers. It's always a good time. No way we could pass up such a fantastic opportunity to interview top-notch performers from all over the world without traveling. After all was said and done, the weekend was hectic. We showed up early, stayed late, and ended up having some of the best conversations of the journey. The performers you're about to meet represent a wide variety of the type of people that become magicians. Their paths are different, yet the passion for performing and for magic is the same. Upon arriving at the hotel and convention center, we made our way to the second level, where we'd scoped out some seating away from the bustle and noise to conduct the interviews. Scene 8. A Brand of Copper. Carl Hein. Genie Convention. Mr. Carl Hine. Hello. Uh, Hello. Hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. Josh. Hi, 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 uh, kind of give a little bit of background where you're from, how you got into magic, just kind of super condensed. Cool. So super condensed. I am <laughs> from West Palm Beach, Florida, some couple hours from here. And I've been doing magic professionally since 99 when I graduated college, but semi-professionally for the four years before that while I was in college. And I've done a little bit of most everything from family shows to balloons and juggling, magic, restaurant magic, of course. Uh, a lot of private parties and corporate events of all sorts, from trade shows to hospitality suites to holiday parties and things like that. I don't do a lot of really big illusions or big stage stuff. Uh, I don't do really cruise ships and venues that haven't worked. But in the private and corporate party market, I've done most of the different types of things. Yeah. How did you get your start in a magic? Um, as a kid, I uh, saw a magician very young as a, as a child. L liked it. Started going to magic shops, got addicted to the crack. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of mainlining it. Pretty much all of us <laughs> addicts at one point. Yeah. Totally. And then um, uh, I got my first gig my junior year in high school. 
a friend of mine's dad hired me to do a project graduation. It was a lot of fun. And, and I was never like the, I was always a, you know, a little bit nerdy, but more shy, reserved type of kid. And so uh, I never had the dreams of being on stage or being famous or any of that kind of stuff. I just enjoyed doing magic. And, you know, it brings out, uh, over the years, has brought out a lot of other sides of personality for me and people skills and things like that. And, and it's been uh, a great ride. Right on. Yeah. So when did the creation of Carl Coppertap come into play? Um, like that name. And- so uh, right after college is when I, if I remember correctly, it's, you know, it's a bit of a haze. <laughs> At some point, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was right after college is when, um, around, around 2000, I think is about the time frame. I graduated in 99. I ended up, uh, starting doing some networking, business networking groups. And then that business networking group, I met up with a photographer slash, slash, uh, you know, uh, you know, graphic designer, all these sorts of things. And we had a meeting and we talked about branding, you know, at some point. And, uh, I was always somewhat familiar with some brand stuff. And so we, at that time, I was doing a lot of family shows. I was also doing uh, a good amount of restaurant work. And then from the restaurant work and from the family shows, more family shows and more walk-around gigs and things like that. Um, and so because I was doing so much of everything, we went off of a nickname I had as a, as a kid, which was Copper Top. You know, as, as a redhead, you get lots of different nicknames. But that's the only one I thought was actually cool <laughs> uh, and not somewhat demeaning. Um and so it was fun. So that was kind of one thing I kind of liked. It was kind of memorable, you know, at that time, you know, especially back then, Caratop was really big. And so it was kind of, I really didn't want to like play off of it or take off of him. But I also um, knew that having something like that, that's easily memorable, um, makes uh, makes it easier for people to hire you in some ways and think about, not so much hire, but to think about you and then possibly hire you. That, that, that character of... Carl Coppertop. Is it is it a character or is it just a, like a heightened sense of you? Is it just you or when you're performing, are you somebody different? So, Bill, I think, you know, everybody comes about these things and most of them are mistakes, uh, how you come about stuff, right? And so with mine, it was I went to a juggling convention, I think in Montreal, and um, these new uh, juggling hats had come out. And I think the only one that was left was blue and I got it and <laughs> wore it around. And I, 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 a lot of fashion sense back then, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I wore it around a lot, and somehow I ended up building a blue suit around the blue hat, and um, and uh, so that was it. Made me different from everybody else in the area visually, um, and then I think what I did also made me different from everybody else in the area to a degree. Um, and for a long period of time, that image and that look worked really well for me. I think, and for certain markets and certain things. And how long? Do you still have that character or is that kind of retired? Well, I still have the name. I still uh, go by Carl Coppertop, but the, uh, the image has changed a good amount in the past five, seven years. Uh, I went from wearing the blue hat to like a black and blue hat. Um, and I still wear that actually same style or similar style of hat uh, when I do family shows just because there's some juggling bits that that type of juggling hat is actually you need, um, which is part of the reason why I got it because I incorporated, I've always kind of incorporated hats into what I do. And as being the reserved person, it was kind of the thing of putting the hat on and now you're, you're on, you're a right. different character in a way. Right. Um, which is one of the things, reasons that's always been hard for me to perform for my family. And I think it's a problem for some people, not everybody. You know, some, some magicians are the character that they are on stage, very much so. There's always tweaks, there's always differences. But, um, for me, um, it's definitely more of an extroverted character when I perform than when I'm not. At the same time, I also know how to, to not be extroverted. I know how to be me 
in smaller environments, more intimate environments or for older crowds and things where you have to tone the energy down. You have to change the way I've always tried to adapt to my audiences. But, you know, when you have an image of being a blue suit, blue hat, it does also uh, change things, you know. So part of the reasoning for that was um, I didn't. I remember wearing a, a, a black bowler hat. I used to do a lot of bar mitzvahs. I still do a lot of bar mitzvahs, actually. And you know, I'll go, and I don't know why, but for some reason, I thought this nineteen-year-old redheaded German kid was a rabbi because he wore a black hat at <laughs> the bar mitzvahs. <laughs> um, and and so I, that's part of the reason I went to blue is because it was now fairly obvious uh, that I was not the <laughs> rabbi. And but at the same t- time, I also the other thing you got when you're young and you were in tuxedos at events is you get people handing you drinks to the, to the server. And so I wanted something that kind of set me apart so people knew I was the magician, um, and which is a different approach than other people take. And, and sometimes, some ways I take now where it's more you walk up more, blending in and be more casual and then transition into that. Um, and and I understand that perspective. I, and, and now I'll, uh, when you're in higher end things, I think that's a really good approach for some things. You have to know your audience. But, you know, for a lot of the venues I've worked for many years, like cocktail hours or bar mitzvahs, your material has to be very fast. It's got to be really quick. And I didn't want to spend five minutes talking to someone before I started doing magic. Um, I wanted to get in and out and try to get as much value as possible uh, in those type of environments. And so having people just immediately recognize that you're a magician um, I also took kind of, um, uh, you know, which later you realize is similar to the Williamson approach of, okay, this guy can't be good. <laughs> and then, you know, pretty quick off the bat, holy crap, what's going on. Right. Um, especially for doing adult parties, the kids parties, there's a whole different thing. If you're doing family shows, then that colorful character fit very well with doing, uh, family shows and balloons. Um, and, and, and that, and that environment was very, very good, you know? I think Carl's the first to really talk about the, the branding concept yeah. and how important was that to you? Do you feel that if you hadn't done the brands that it's, it, your life would be different? I mean, it's possible. I mean, I think, uh, you know, th- I don't think there's too many keys to your success. I think it's multiple things. Everybody likes to see the world in black and white and answers, but mostly it's combinations of many things that you've done or that happened to you and that happened to you that uh, make you who you are. And so I think having sit down and, and worked with someone on branding for better or for worse. Um, but you know, even the logo I had, which is my face and the hat, uh, is the outline, just my goatee and, um, which I couldn't change the goatee for a long time because of that logo. But I remember, you know, even 10 years afterwards seeing this, that person I sat down with, that graphic designer and saying, Oh, that's one of the best logos I've ever created, you know? Um, and there's some things that are really great about the branding on, on that side of it. Um, for example, uh, I know of at least three children that have dressed up as me for Halloween. Right. Right. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. But how can someone dress up as you for Halloween unless you have a very discernible and distinct characteristics? Uh, and so it was easy for someone to uh, put a little orange around their, their mouth, a goatee, and put a blue hat on, wear a blue outfit, and now they're Carl Coppertop. Right. right. So having that visually recognizable image – and then that's one part of a, a key to my success in doing family shows and setting me apart from everybody else. And even if someone didn't remember my name, you're probably not going to forget the guy in the electrical suit. Now, there's pros and cons to this, right? I mean, so that also limits you. So a lot of times if you 
choose a brand, you're also eliminating a part of your potential clients, but you're also branding yourself to a, another type of potential client. So you have to be very careful making sure the people you're aligning yourself with are the people you want to be aligning yourself with in the long run. Which for me, um, luckily where I live, there's a lot of money. So even family shows I could get really good money for. And I've been able to transition a lot of those family shows and things into other types of work as I progressed along my career. I still love, like doing kid shows, but it's not my main thing anymore, you know. So eventually the image had to change. One of my favorite questions is um, before you do a show, even if you're doing stage work or walk around or a kid's party, is there anything that you do before you go out to perform to kind of get in the moment? I don't. No, that I, not that I consciously think of, you know, it's, um, is it like putting on the suit basically is your, well, there's different types of performances, you know, I mean, after a while, maybe early on, but you know, when you do those things for a while, to me, it's just stuff, everything I do. Now, when I have shows that bring me out of my comfort zone and that's a different story when you're doing something a little different, right. then it's like, uh, yeah, think about it and you get nervous and, you know, then you got to shake yourself a little bit and, and, you know. You run through the things everybody tells you to run through just to you know, help, but um, it's it's trying to be as comfortable as possible and not build yourself up too much. It depends on your character. You know, some people are really loud and and big, larger than life. My approach is a little bit of that, but also trying to connect with being comfortable and natural. And you know, at least in the magic world, some of the close-ups that I do, one of the compliments people have given me is that I have a natural style, natural pacing. And it's not, uh, at least natural to me, not to everybody, but to me. Uh, and it doesn't seem like I'm nervous, I guess, which is a big throw off. I mean, if I'm doing something really new in the environment I'm nervous about, then I'm nervous. But most of the time, you're, you're confident that you can do what you're going to do. And you can deliver what you're, they're expecting you to deliver. Which I think in many cases is the other key to success is... Uh, you know, having that brand, having being smart about business, how to answer phone calls, how to pass out your business cards, how to network with clients and other magicians. All those things are really important. They're not, you take away, you take away one thing, but you can't take away too many things before you start to really hurt in your business side of things. But in the end, I think the real key is you have to be so good, uh, as uh, Steve Martin says, so good people can't ignore you. Um, I always say it as you have to be, uh, you have to give people an experience they have to share not want to share or want to talk about, but have, want, have to share with everybody that I know. And that's the secret to word of mouth business, which in the end for me, I believe is the best kind of business. Yeah. And uh, I'm very spoiled because I don't do any marketing. I don't do any branding anymore. I mean, branding in terms of website and business cards and things like that. But um, work just comes to me because it's always come to me because the word of mouth that's been created mostly just from doing good shows and right. making people want hire me and if you're doing a lot of shows and people aren't hiring you or aren't calling you then you're not doing something right and you need to reevaluate it's really that simple it's very true it's that's a hard thing to see yeah. a lot of the other side of it is it can also be uh you, you're just not doing shows in the right markets and circles so that's why you're not people are calling you but you might be lowballing you in price uh or you're doing you know so you it's it's, it's even that's not as simple as a one time thing but right. for the most part it's a very true statement you have to be make people want you and not just want you, but want to share you. Cause that's, it's like Facebook. I, another analogy I give is like Facebook is, you know, you, you see your Facebook news feed if you're on Facebook and you have all these things. It's all that's no, 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 that's crap. crap. Oh, there's a cute kid and crap, 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 crap. What's this? Oh my God. Everybody I know has to see this share. That's the video you want to be out of all those videos that you videos or posts or whatever you scroll past. You want to be the one that everybody's sharing. That's what goes viral. And that's what, because success trending 
trending. It looks trending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I like the way the J words it is uh, like a happy accident. Yeah, like uh, in your show, right? Uh, has anything evolved from listening to your audience? Almost everything, think, right? Especially when you're more of a reserved person. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not particularly comic or creative in those ways. I mean, I have things I've created that are I've put time and effort into, and that um, there is a level of creativity there. But my my especially 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 not scripting and especially not comedy and things like that. But that's not to say that I haven't found moments myself or taken moments that people have given me, turned it into something that works consistently over and over and over again. And that I have an act that isn't, I wouldn't say comedy, but it's funny and it's fun and it's entertaining and it's, there are moments of great humor in it, you know? Uh, and, and that just comes from experience of doing it and taking what audience gives you listening. Which is another thing I think is really important, especially in the magic world, because a lot of magicians <clears throat> have some social issues of some sort or another. Uh, I think almost all of us do to a degree, uh, especially in the magic world. But one of the biggest problems is people not uh, listening to their audiences. And when I say listening to their audiences, it's a bit more complicated than just listening to your audiences. It's a, being able to actively observe your audience and their reactions to you. And not just one or two people in your audience but the audience as a whole, the ones on the peripheral, the ones that are skeptics that aren't reacting and trying to figure out how to make 99.999% of the people walk away having an amazing experience and remembering it, not just one or two, right? Uh, and because you can, it's very easy to focus on the one lady that's acting crazy. Right, exactly. And ignore the people around you. Um, and, and that's an important thing to really try to constantly improve and, and get better at. Um, so you're, you, most of your show is coming from listening to your audience and crafting it in some way, shape, or form. It's both, you know. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's both. Bringing a little bit to it. Yeah. Do you start? Because when I start off a new routine, typically speaking, for me, it depends on the type of routine. But my my approach at this point, because I have a decent set, close up and, and and parlor and family shows and things like that, I have a decent set that I know is always going to work. And so I just usually throw something in. I mean, once you get the technical side of it now, I just throw it in. It's going to suck. Right. Um, but I'm very quickly can realize, I like to think that, okay, this isn't me. After usually one or two performances only. Right. This isn't me. Um, I'm not going to do this again. Right. Or, okay, I can improve this. Right. And then you continue to tweak it. And, and like it doesn't take kind of it doesn't take long to get it to a point where it's good, right? But then it takes a year or two or five to, where you tweak those little tiny bits right. and that one little line or that one little moment that you change and then gets that reaction. Oh wow, that's so much bigger, better, right. right? So those little things are constantly going on and never changing. But right. you can, I can get to a, a point where it's fairly quickly something that's good. How often do you work in new material? Not too often anymore. Right. <laughs> And the, uh, it, you know, it depends on, you know, a family show. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lazy when it comes to that. I mean, it depends on where you put your focus too. You know, like, that's not my focus. It's not where my, my heart is. Uh, I don't really like going to family shows, but I really like it when I'm there. Right. Right. It's one of those types of things. Um, and, uh, so that I don't really add too much new material on occasion. Oh, I'll try that. It's something, something different. You know, the times you really, I have to add new materials when I need to, because it's a repeat client and it's, right. uh, but even then, I'm surprised by how people just want you back again and again. Just for the yeah, you know, it's even with the same thing. Right. And I have, you know, a uh, country club I do 
a couple of them pretty regularly where it's every week for the past eight years. And this is not a restaurant. It's a country club. So you have the same kids every week for the past <laughs> eight years. Uh, so that's what doing balloons is really helpful because you don't, you can do different balloon every night or the same balloon that the kid likes every night. But with magic, you know, you can only do the same trick so many times, right? right. So then you have to work some new stuff in. And it's a great way of doing it because you take, I usually will take that one trick and just do that one trick at every table. Right. Right. And that way, you know, you've done that trick for everyone. And you walk not can do it for those six months or whatever it is. And you don't have to worry about making it really, really good. But you find out that, well, maybe that's something I should add to my repertoire. Right. And sometimes it's just a different variation of something else I already do. Uh, but different enough that people aren't going to recognize it. But I couldn't do them back to back because they're too similar in my normal set. So it's never going to be my normal set, but it's a great extra thing to throw in. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, what um, would you say, like, starting out uh, for anybody who's young, right, just to get as much work as they possibly can, get out there and just trial and error basically yeah. yeah that that but you know there's the there's the saying that practice doesn't make perfect perfect practice makes perfect you know and that's a very i think uh astute saying and i think it's really an important saying because you can practice i mean there's people that have been practicing for 50 years that still are horrible right right, right. and it's the same with performance you can perform for 40 years and still be horrible <laughs> um and so it's not about just working right you have to work a lot but you also have to be aware of how you're constantly getting better and constantly connecting more and constantly getting better reactions of the sort you want, not just bigger reactions. Cause maybe that's not what you want. Maybe you want an internalized uh, reaction. It's not applause. Maybe you want people running away and screaming. Maybe you want applause. Maybe you want standing ovation. Maybe you don't want a standing ovation. Everybody, I mean, there's people that want all different sorts of things, but you need to know what you want and try to keep going towards that. And one of the things people want is to get more work. And so, again, if you're not getting a phone call or three phone calls or five phone calls from every single gig you do, then you're either not performing for the right people or you're not doing a good enough job and you need to tweak that. Looking at yourself now, would there be any advice that would you would give a younger version of you when you started out saying, this is what I've learned, kind of a do this, don't do that, anything. And just gave some advice to a younger kid recently. But, you know, the problem with advice is it's very suited to my experience. If anybody's advice is suited to their experience. And so uh, I think one of the uh, large problems in the magic community is you have a lot of people trying to give advice, a lot of people sharing what works for them, and the, which is good because that's what we want. We want people to share what works for them. The problem is a lot of times what people – share um is in an environment that they would never do it in so you know most magic lectures you let's say close-up magic you're not, not going to see in the real world someone doing close-up magic on stage i mean there's exceptions with video and part of a show yeah you can do a video things and things like that but yeah for the most part you're not doing the real close-up magic on stage um and you know in the parlor environment there's some things i would never do but i'm going to do it in the lecture because i want to teach it right and so you have to be really careful about um, uh, saying, okay, this is a great routine. This, this killed in the magic world. This right. killed for this audience right here, but not recognizing that that's a different audience. And it's the same in comedy. You know, you can, you can go to a comedy club and see a, a comedy and just absolutely kill. But so I want him for my corporate event. Right. And then it just bombs, right? Because, and that's also the problem of that comedian, as many comedians don't adjust their comedy to their audience. Their audience comes to them 
in a comedy club, and so they don't need to, unless they're going out, right? But uh, it's the same thing with magic. Is if you're changing, there's three things you have to keep in mind. I think is who you are as a character and as a person, and making sure what you do fits that. You need to keep in mind the venue you're performing in because everything from small venue to outside to inside to large stage to television changes the dynamics of what material will work, what lines will work, what timing will work. Everything changes, right? right. And the third thing is your audience. As your audience changes, age from kids to adults, from, uh, you know, from rich to poor, from uh, a small group of corporate executives that have a certain dynamic amongst themselves and there's all these different dynamics that exist in the groups that we perform for the magicians. Magicians right. are audiences too. And you have, and you should adjust your magic to entertain the audience that's in front of you. And if you're performing for magicians, you should do that. But it doesn't mean that if you go out and you do that same thing in the real world, that's the type of bits and things you should use because that's a different audience. It's a different environment. It's a different size of a group, right? And you're a different person than that person that did it. So that's, the advice I give is that you just need to be discerning and you have, and it just takes time. You don't learn. It's not, it's advice that you can't really give is it's only experience is going to make that difference. Yeah. And, but again, that perfect experience. That yeah, makes the difference. Right. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I think that was awesome. Thank you. There we go. Got it. One shot. Get a guy, get a guy good. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you so Appreciate much, it.